Welcome to a special Halloween edition of American Student Radio, broadcasting on 99.1 WIUXLP Bloomington. I'm your host, Rick Brewer. Keep it right here. From Bloom... <laughs> from... Uh, again, live... live... what is it? <clears throat> oh, ready? Should I do it again? From Indiana University in Bloomington. From Indiana University in Bloomington. This is... This is... This is American Student Radio. Real chill. Real chill. Aliens, conspiracy, journalism, and lesbians. One of the most fascinating things about Halloween is the relationship between life and death. Our first piece is a poem written by Sheila Raghavandran. It features fictionalized versions of Sylvia Plath and Lady Gaga, talking about how death finds its way into their art and lives. My name is Lady Gaga. And mine, Lady Lazarus. I've struggled as a lady. It made me feel cadaverous. Some days I can't move, can't breathe. Some, I wish that I were blind. See, fame is such a monster. And love is never kind. I've seen death in the eyes of friends and fans and lovers. I've seen death in the eyes of my own, in the mirrors. It's artistic, you see, depicting death the way I do. Through the Holocaust, pain, suffering, and feline spirits, too. I take the route with fake blood and guts and a glitter cabaret. I don't believe in God anymore, because my father couldn't stay. And if he could go, then I can too. It's my right of way. Sylvia, tell him how you feel, girl, but love yourself and just remember, God makes no mistakes. If God makes no mistakes... Then what have I done wrong? To be placed in this misery, I might have been dead all along. Death is fascinating, that's for sure. Believe me, I'm not lying. But I know life is meant for living. I just know I'm dying. My name is Lady Gaga. And mine, Lady Lazarus. We're ending right back at the start. Until Until death death do us part. Thanks to Emily Miles, who voiced Sylvia Plath in this poem. For American Student Radio, I'm Sheila Raghavendran. Persistent in the theme of death, our next piece comes from the voice memo box of Emily Miles. A night at the lake, a Budapest rainstorm, a giant rotating globe, and the moment after running over a rabbit in the highway come together as the backdrop of a Western attitude towards death. Have you defined your relationship with death? What that roaring sound it makes with The French historian Philippe Arise says you live in the era of forbidden death. What are you doing? Um, just want to make sure I don't burn my lips so I can get too much heat on it. So I'm moving up a little tip, just a little bit. There are little frogs everywhere. This one right there. Go catch it. I see it. I think that would not make him very happy. He says it makes you intensely uncomfortable. Probably. It scares you. But it's also likely that you play with it. I'd really like to go swimming. You may rationalize it. Do it. You may tell yourself it's natural. And it is. Whoa. You're hearing that too, right? Yeah. No. <laughs> What was it? Something is going to It's um, mammals in the water. 
There's like otters and stuff here. Yeah. Sure. Or like someone today at Griffey. A bird, maybe diving a little. Could have been a goose. Yeah. A <laughs> goose had a okay. nightmare. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> You really but do at it. the end of yeah. the day, I mean, it'll it's be cold, cold and terrible, terrible and I'll hate it, but I'll do it. And then I'll love it after like five seconds <laughs> of being cold. Oh, I know, right? There's no way it could be permanent. <laughs> I'm going to save that for after I get back in the water. And we don't have to address it now. Is that all? We'll be that'll old when we say goodbye. So that means that like that's not going to be touched until I get back from the water. So <laughs> whether it's now or a week from now. <laughs> 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 But in the meantime, I got time to contemplate, <laughs> weigh my pros and cons. <laughs> we may be obsessed with it. Makes me wish I had my recorder. <laughs> Such beautiful sound. Love it. Southern Indiana. So natural. If you think about it, this is such a weird setting to go swimming in. Like, it feels really creepy. <laughs> the water has overflown. There are random splashes in the sound and good shots in the distance. But it will always feel weird. Maybe erotic in a way. And nothing we can handle alone. You're coming with me. <laughs> I think they're the motorcycle guy. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Is he just standing there? Yeah, he's really like looking at the water. I just yeah. Eventually, we all wait in. Well, I could say, you're coming with me. <laughs> Alright, this levels out really slowly. We'd actually have to go pretty far to submerge ourselves. Are you backing out? Oh. No, I'm just saying that we'd have to go pretty far to submerge ourselves. Wait, I gotta wear this like a pin. I First, we make excuses. <laughs> but we all wade into death. <laughs> she dancing into the water? She really is. Just one way to do it. Helps her get through everything. She did it on purpose. Gleeful. Oh God. <laughs> I lost the pavement. Oh God. Like a kid. I think it's that way. Oh wow. Well, then I'll be swimming. This is the beginning to a horror movie. Just saying. Like. God. Oh God. I know. You know what I'm talking about. I don't realize how much of a sharp child she is. And I'm much smaller than Body you. Body wise, we the same, not just what? She's like an actual child. Oh my god, I don't know. Okay. And I'm. Ooh, now I'm warm. That's a numb. That's probably not good. She's probably numb. Oh, oh no. <laughs> 
Finally, the dance ends, and the people we leave behind must redefine their relationships with death. In our next piece, James Keyes walks us through the murder scene of Lorraine Bush and the court case of the state of Indiana versus Noel Cazares, a story from right here in Monroe County that's made national headlines. Take a listen. Noel 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 Cazares murder and arson. Let's talk about this guy. He calls himself Giovanni Bush, so I guess we will too. Let's go back to February 10th, 2018. So if you're from the Bloomington area, you might have heard about a certain house fire off South Handy Road. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere. The house burned down, killing an 85-year-old woman named Loray Bush. When authorities responded to the scene, they found Giovanni Bush. He said his mother, Loray, had died in the fire. He said he tried to save her, but it was too late. On the morning of the 10th, Giovanni said he left the South Handy house to get his mom Starbucks coffee and Jack's donuts. Police investigations alleged that Loray did not and had never drank coffee. When he got back home, Giovanni said he saw wisps of smoke rising from the house. He said he turned the doorknob, which was hot to the touch, to find a small fire raging on the right side of the house. Arson reports allege that the fire began on the left side of the house. Giovanni said he waded through waist-deep black smoke to the source of the fire, trying to smother it. He said he felt along the walls of the house with his bare hands until he located his mother. She was sitting upright on the sofa. He said he knew she was dead by the look on her face. Loray's autopsy included that she was alive when the fire started, cause of death, carbon monoxide asphyxiation. Giovanni said, and this is a little weird, that he tried to carry her out of the house, but she was too slippery. He was taken to the hospital for treatment of minor burns on his hands. Burns that he said he got when he tried to save his mother from the plumes of smoke that had engulfed the small house. Arson reports say the fire originated right next to the couch that Loray sat dead on. They also said the fire was incendiary. It was intentionally set. Let's talk a little bit about Loray Bush. At the time of her death, Loray was in the late, late stages of Alzheimer's disease. Giovanni knew this. Last November, Giovanni tried to admit Loray to Autumn Hill's Alzheimer's Special Care Center in Bloomington. According to Autumn Hill employees, Giovanni caused quite a ruckus. First, he didn't have any of Loray's information. No ID, no social security number, no identifying documents of any kind. Second, he didn't even fill out any paperwork for Loray. He just handed her off. When staff pushed back, he reportedly got extremely rude and degrading. 
In the end, Lorraine only stayed at Autumn Hills for a short stint before Giovanni took her back home. Alright, I want to take a quick detour and describe exactly what home was for Lorraine. So Giovanni allegedly had her shacked up in an unfinished garage. No kitchen, no appliances, nothing. Here's the thing. Lorray was allegedly completely reliant on Giovanni for food, water, transportation, interaction, honestly everything. He would reportedly leave her in this shack for extended periods of time while he was out and about. Giovanni himself didn't even stay at the South Handy house much. He often slept at his girlfriend's house, according to her daughter. Okay, now back to Lorraine. Early on in the investigation, police tried contacting some of her family members. She was an only child and didn't have any kids, so there weren't many options. But police ended up finding Lorraine's first cousin, Betty Britton Keith, of Amarillo, Texas. Here's where things start making sense. Betty goes into detail about how insanely wealthy Lorraine is. $10 million is a gross understatement of Lorraine's wealth. She owned multiple properties across the country. She collected all kinds of art. She was also sitting on a sizable trust. Her mother, Rady Britton, was a well-known American composer in the 1920s and 30s. She studied all over Europe before making a name for herself in the States. The main stage of Bloomington's Buskirk Chumley Theater is actually named the Rady Britton Stage, testament to her popularity. Lorraine herself was a gifted musician. Even in the late stages of Alzheimer's, she continued to play piano. Giovanni even uploaded a video to YouTube of her struggling through some scales. Lorraine and her mother lived in Palm Desert, California, and Lorraine stayed there until about four years ago until she met Giovanni. Giovanni came into Lorraine's life in a pretty standard way. It's how he stayed in her life that was interesting. About four years ago, he began renting property from Lorraine out in California. He had trouble paying rent. Long story short, he ended up doing some handiwork for Lorraine in lieu of rent, and the two developed a close relationship. Somehow, Giovanni convinced her to leave her place out in Palm Desert, which, may I add, was a very nice property, and head for Bloomington, Indiana. At this point, there was no going back for Lorraine. She was completely at the mercy of Giovanni. He plucked her from her home and took her phone. She didn't have anyone checking in on her. Neighbors didn't even know she lived at the South Handy house until after her death. And her Alzheimer's was only getting worse. She had to wear a necklace with her name and contact info on it. Over the three or so years that Lorraine lived with Giovanni, he tried to weasel himself as deeply into her affairs as he could. He just wasn't smart about it. He reportedly got a hold of Lorraine's will and other financial documents and whited out each benefactor's name, scribbling in his name over top. After Lorraine's death, he incessantly called the firm overseeing her estate, 
He said that Loray adopted him, but there's zero paperwork. Giovanni isn't even his real name. His real name is Noel Cazares. He's a Mexican immigrant with U.S. citizenship, but according to authorities, he may not even be Noel Cazares. All of his identification cards are suspected to have been used by multiple people across the country. After Luray's death, Giovanni and his girlfriend, Misty Allen, traveled cross-country according to a confidential informant. They eventually settled in Palm Desert. They were going to claim Luray's property. This is where the story ends for now. The couple was arrested out in California on a warrant, and both are currently on trial. Cazares is facing some pretty hefty charges. Murder, arson, neglect of a dependent, and obstruction of justice. The case is going to a jury trial next month. For American Student Radio, this is James Keyes. You're tuned in to American Student Radio on 99.1 WIUX each week on our program. We pick a theme and bring you stories on that theme. Today, it's our annual Halloween special. For the rest of our show, we dug into the ASR archives because some of them are just too good not to play again. But before we continue, a quick warning. It's going to get dark. Some of these segments discuss some pretty grisly deaths. There's mentions of murder, domestic violence, rape, and abortion. So if you're uncomfortable with any of these topics or have kids around, Please use discretion. And now, here's ASR alum Angelo Batista recounting some of the legends and folklore from the Philippines. My family loves to go camping every fall in Brown County. It's usually us and three or four other families, all Filipino. And I remember one time we went camping several years ago. It was dark and cold, and all of the kids were huddled up around the fire. And it occurred to us that we've never told ghost stories before. That's when the parents started telling us stories about creatures we had never heard of. Creatures from back home in the Philippines. Some were innocent and mischievous, like the duende, what we would call elves or goblins. Or the capre, giant cigar-smoking tree trolls similar to Bigfoot. Others were pure nightmare fuel. There's the Tikbalang, a tall, bony, humanoid creature with the head of a horse, the torso of a man, long, sinewy legs, and blood-red eyes. Then there's the White Lady of Balete Drive, a vengeful spirit dressed in white that haunts drivers in the misty night. Legend has it that a woman died on Balete Drive after crashing into a balete tree. Other stories say the woman was brutally raped by a taxi driver and left for dead on the side of the road. According to Filipino folklore, balete trees are known to lure spirits, which is why the white lady's spirit still lingers in the area. She appears to drivers in the mist along the side of the road. Sometimes she appears inside the cars of drivers. Locals know well enough not to stare into the rearview mirror when driving at night, out of fear of meeting the gaze of the white lady. And then, there's the Aswang. The name alone just gives me chills. 
I met up with my friends from the Filipino American Association for their Halloween-themed meeting to learn more about the Aswang. Here's my friend, Francis Sebastian. The Aswang are by far the most prolific monsters in Filipino folklore. In fact, the term Aswang itself refers to various types of creatures that belong to this group. According to Spanish colonizers in the 16th century, the Aswang are the most feared monsters amongst the mythological creatures of the Philippines. Originally, Aswang are female ghouls, mostly described as vampire-like creatures that can change shape at will. It is difficult to accurately describe what an Aswang looks like because the description varies from region to region. A few similarities do state that these shapeshifters normally live as regular female townspeople, though shy, quiet, and mysterious. At night, Aswang take the forms of pigs, birds, or dogs and feast upon human body parts, namely the liver and the heart. The Aswang is said to have bloodshot eyes, an indication of their staying up all night in search of their victims. Aswang are an entire class of monster. They come in many different terrifying forms, but they all have one thing in common. They love the taste of humans. They prey on the vulnerable, the children, and the elderly. And some have an appetite for unborn fetuses. The most well-known type of Aswang is known as the Mananangal. Usually disguised as a female, the Mananangal sprouts huge bat-like wings and severs its torso from the rest of its body as it takes flight. Its name comes from the Tagalog word tangal, which means to separate. Mananangal roughly translates to one who separates itself. No one is safe from the Mananangal, especially expecting mothers. It lands silently on the thatched roofs of houses, and with its long slender tongue, it drinks the unborn child as the mother sleeps, like a mosquito getting its fill of blood. It's easy to see how creatures like the Mananangal are used as a way to explain miscarriages and death. Much of the horror in these folktales is rooted deeply in Catholicism, which was introduced to the Philippines by the Spaniards in the 16th century. Many of these unholy creatures were thought to be the result of the death of an unbaptized child, which is a terrifying thought for Catholics. For example, the Tianak is an aswang that disguises itself as a newborn child. Born out of the death of an unbaptized baby, it seeks revenge on its mother who failed to baptize it. Over time, these origins have shifted from not just the death of the unbaptized, but also the aborted. Today, many Filipinos hold a strong belief in these creatures and legends. Personally, I don't believe in them, but I do love these stories. They were a part of our culture and collective oral history passed down through generations and generations. I asked some of the members of the Filipino-American Association to share some of their scariest stories that were told in their families. Here's one from sophomore Kristen Kunanan. Uh, well, my cousin, she works as a nurse in the Philippines, and when she first started working, she worked in um, a ward in a hospital, which is just pretty much a lot of hospital beds and patients just like have privacy if they want curtains around their bed. And my cousin said that she was checking a patient one day, and this patient always has their curtains closed. So she went into the curtains, and she was just checking the patient, and the patient said, have you seen the batang aswang? And then my cousin said, I don't know what you're talking about. 
So the patient went on and was describing a child that had red eyes and would run around the ward and would stop in front of the bed of the patient that was going to die next. So my cousin, she just thought, oh, this lady's crazy. So she was just like, oh, that's funny. Like, oh, you're just telling me a scary story. Let me open up your curtain so you can have a new view. And then the patient started freaking out, was like, no, I'm gonna see the Bakanga song if you do that. So my cousin left the patient. She went up to her other nurse friends and was telling them what just happened, was telling them the story of the Batanga Swang. And then the other nurses were saying, oh, that's funny, my patients told me the same story. <laughs> so at that point, my cousin was starting to freak out, but she didn't really think anything of it. And then so the next day, she went to check another patient. This patient always kept their curtains open, but was sleeping at the time when my cousin was going to see them. When she got up to the bed, the patient opened her eyes, was just staring up at the ceiling, and said, huh, batang a swung, and then died the next day. <laughs> the music in this piece was created by Mexup and Silver Process with a Creative Commons license. For American Student Radio in Bloomington, I'm Angela Bautista. Angelo Batista. He's now a producer for To the Best of Our Knowledge from Wisconsin Public Radio. Our next story comes from Ayub Lasued and me, Rick Brewer. Last year, Ayub moved to a different part of Bloomington. And for those of you who live here, you know that Bloomington makes sounds like any other college town. You might hear some frat parties, loud music every once in a while, the monthly tornado siren, you know, normal stuff. But every once in a while, Bloomington will make a sound that cannot be explained. This one's called a beat in the night. Meet Ayub Lasued. Uh, I am a PhD uh, student here in the uh, School of Optometry. Ayub has been a Bloomington resident for several years and recently moved near Memorial Stadium after having lived on the quiet east side. And when he decided to make the move, Ayub didn't realize what he was getting himself into. Despite having gone to multiple universities around the world, he has little experience living around a party atmosphere. But I've never lived in a place where there were parties around me, you know, so I had never had to worry when I was at home about parties surrounding me. They are very consistent about partying. If the weather is uh, good enough, people will go out and party, which was very surprising for me. I, I thought, like, I mean, <laughs> I never thought that, you know, Americans are so, like, consistent about partying, like every weekend. <laughs> so uh, the place where they have their uh, bonfire is, I would say, two meters away from my window. But one night last November, Ayub heard something strange in the dead of night, something he's never heard before coming from outside. And to his surprise, it wasn't his neighbors. In fact, he claims the entire neighborhood was quiet. So that night I went to bed at around, I would say, midnight, as usual. Surprisingly, there was uh, nothing when I went to bed. 
your neighbors weren't playing music. Yeah, there were. So it was great. I thought it was was my night. A night night of peace. A night of peace, exactly. (laughs) Which is rare for me. So I appreciated it. And um, I slept right away. And then at 3 a.m., something woke me up. Just something weird that woke me up. Um, It was like a beat. How would you describe it to us? Uh, Simply, it was a beat. It was just a beat sound. Like, how, how did it sound? Boom. Uh, I didn't know where it was coming from. It was the first time I, I, I think I heard this sound, like that, that deep sound. It was very deep sound. And uh, I could even feel it like, in my body. It was not only the ears. So what I did is I, I, I tried to cover my ears, put myself back to sleep. But it didn't work. <laughs> the sound was there, still there, even when I covered my ears. Um, what I usually do in this kind of um, situation is that I go to the fan and increase the setting, you know, to the highest, so that uh, I'm hoping that the noise coming from the no- from the fan will cover any outside um, party noise. Boom. Boom. Uh, I think Boom. my bed was shaking for sure. Boom. Why why doesn't this sound go away Boom. when I put the high fan on when Boom. I cover my ears? It must Boom. be somewhere close to coming from somewhere Boom. close to where I am. Boom. So I, I want to check the other rooms. I want Boom. to check I think the uh, bathroom, I want to Boom. check the kitchen, the living room Boom. and uh, make sure Boom. that the, there were no appliances Boom. on and it was Boom. all quiet as usual. Um, but what I noticed though was that the shaking in the other rooms was not as strong as in my room it was even like I I couldn't even feel it in the other rooms I could only feel it in my room Ayub did what most of us would do in this situation he went to Google and typed in various searches like annoying sound loud bass tone in the night and he eventually stumbled onto a Google thread Turns out a lot of people have had a similar experience, and they all told him to go outside and investigate, and that certain gadgets with long antenna can help locate the source of the sound. I think it was enough annoying for me to to, to go outside and try to find out where it was. Uh, so what people described in this thread was that if you go, you have to try to feel if the sound is increasing or decreasing as you go, as you move. And that will give you a rough idea of the direction where you should go, right? So I tried to do that. I went outside, 3 a.m., trying to feel the vibes in the street. (laughs) Did you put your ear to the ground or anything? No. (laughs) 
<laughs> Do that mean gross? But <laughs> so after a while, I think I gave up. Yeah, I just gave up. Mm. Yeah, so I wish I had this antenna. So you were essentially unable to find the source of the sound. Boom. Boom. Yeah, I was unable to find out. Boom. 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 Music in this piece comes from Blue Dot Sessions. For American Student Radio, I'm Rick Brewer, along with Ayub Lasued. I'm going to have problems with my neighbors, I think, <laughs> if they hear this podcast. <laughs> it's always a little weird hearing yourself talk on the radio. Our final story comes from ASR alum Carter Barrett, who takes us on a ghost tour of one of the most haunted college campuses out there, which is right here. It's Indiana University at Bloomington. Hey. Welcome to the first stop on the IU Ghost Tour. Prepare for some bone-chilling stories, and whatever you do, don't take out your headphones. So if you're standing in the right spot, you should be looking at what is now the IU Career Development Center off North Jordan Avenue. It's a red brick building with a wheelchair access to the door facing Jordan. To your back should be the IU Health Center. Okay, don't be shy. Go up to the front door, take a step inside. Someone will probably ask you what you're doing. Just say you're on this tour. They'll know what you're talking about. Take a look around. Notice the pamphlets and posters. That's the beginning of this horror story, finding a career. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, have a seat in one of the chairs. It doesn't matter. To be honest, they're all equally uncomfortable. Tragedy is a funny thing. I don't know if it's the kind of thing that can follow a place around, but for this house, it certainly seems that way. It has three generations of stories, a madman, a doctor, and a fraternity brother. Here's the first. If you couldn't tell from the outside, this hasn't always been the Career Development Center. It was actually a private residence, In the early 1900s, the home's original owner built the house. Imagine this place, brand new. And imagine it not as a stark office building, but as a home. A family sitting at the fireplace. Walls lined with bookshelves. A piano nestled in the corner. There's not a lot of information about this man, but here's what we do know. Soon after he built the home, he fell into what people described as fits of madness. The expenses on the home piled up, and he couldn't keep up with them. Crippled with debt and insanity, one night he descended the stairs into the basement. And killed himself. Before we get into the second part of this story, stand up. Walk towards the little help booth you see first walking in. Then continue and walk towards the water fountains. Once you pass by those, take a left and you should see a large staircase that wraps around. Notice it seems older than everything else. Reach out and feel the cold metal handrail. If you want to sit on the bottom step, go ahead. 
After the first owner killed himself in the basement, a doctor bought the home right before World War II. It was his home, but also his office. Sick people would visit him here. You know, normal doctor stuff. But in the late hours of the night, when the streets were all but empty, scared young women would knock on the door. Come in, come in. Hurry before anyone sees you. Follow me. The doctor and the young woman would descend the stairs into the basement. It was here, in the dark, cold basement, the doctor performed illegal abortions. Having children out of wedlock is socially unacceptable. I was just trying to help. He did this for years, even though it was against the law. He knew he had to cover his tracks. The doctor would toss any remains into the medical waste incinerator in the basement. Reach out and brush your hand along the white plaster wall. Then he took the ashes and buried them in the floorboards and walls. These walls. One late night, the routine procedure went terribly wrong. Oh God, no. No, 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 no. A 17-year-old woman bled to death in the doctor's home. This wasn't supposed to happen. He moved quickly, burning her body and burying the ashes at the bottom of the staircase, right where you're standing. The police arrested the doctor for the girl's murder. When he returned home on bail, he walked to the top of the spiral staircase, the one you're looking at. He tied a noose and hung himself. Maybe it was his reputation or the guilt that did it. Others say he went mad from the sounds of babies crying in the night. The next generation of the building was as Phi Kappa Tau fraternity in the early 1970s. Although no amount of partying or recklessness can leave the home's dark history behind. So it's the 70s and Danny Jackson, a young member of the fraternity, arrived at the house to start the new semester. Look behind you. He probably walked through that door. When he got home, he realized he was the first person back. While he was unpacking, he heard footsteps from the second floor. Hello? Who's there? Hello? Who's there? Hello? Is anybody there? Hey guys, is anybody there? Hello? Take a few steps up onto the spiral staircase. You're standing right where Danny was. It was then he felt an icy cold hand on his shoulder. Horrified, he fell into convulsions until other members of the fraternity found him. They took him to the hospital and he was okay, but never returned back to the house. So while the fraternity occupied the house, all sorts of strange happenings were reported faucets turning on and off, phones dialing themselves, records spinning slowly on turntables, invisible babies crying. When IU turned the house into the Career Development Center, reports of these spooky happenings ceased. 
history finally laid at rest. But you never know what could be right behind you. Carter Barrett. She's now an education reporter at WFYI in Indianapolis. American Student Radio was produced this week by Sheila Raghavandran, James Keyes, Emily Miles, Angelo Batista, Carter Barrett, and me, Rick Brewer. The rest of our team includes Tarek Warner, Peeler Berniarski, Abby Gibson, Jack Bassett, and our advisor, Amy Gostellum. Our theme music comes from Lunamatic. American Student Radio is an audio storytelling group at Indiana University in Bloomington and produced in Franklin Hall. We broadcast new shows every Sunday at noon on 99.1 WIUX and upload it to our podcast. Subscribe wherever your ears listen to podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at ASR Voice and say hi on Facebook and Instagram. We'll be back with more stories from American Student Radio next week.